Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. That one you're dedicated to all the bicycle riders, seen? Bicycle rider, bicycle rider. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Trust me, riding a bike is better. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Everybody should ride. Good morning and welcome to this edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio Program for. Oh, I think it's the um, 13th or 14th of February. It's one of those two. Got something right there. But we've got a really, really big show coming up today. First up, got um, a long-ranging interview with Mike Waller from the Warmlight Street Action Group about the long-running saga, what's happening down on between Kew and Abbotsford with the rather large sort of development and apparently a go-ahead happening uh, it's uh, been given from Richard Wynn. And second interview coming up is about a new South um, East Melbourne bike trail. And I'll be talking to David Bloom, who's been on the show before. And many of you might know him from well, um, Whitehorse Cyclists. Anyway, without further ado, I'm just going to get into the interview with Mike. Today on Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, I'm speaking to Mike Waller. He is from the Warmer Street Action Group. And if you remember last year on Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, Mike actually came into the studio to talk about this Warmer Street issue. And that's the uh, area between uh, Kew and Abbotsford. And there's a bridge involved, there's a huge development involved, and subsequently we've uh, had interviews with Sue Donovan, also from the Warmer Street Action Group. There's been public consultations held by the developer and City of Yarra. There's been stakeholder meetings with Yarra and Burundara councils. And last year, just before Christmas, I interviewed Councillor Amanda Stone from City of Yarra, who's now Mayor of the City of Yarra, about this issue. Now, subsequently, I know, ladies and gentlemen, this is a long introduction, but we've just got to make sure that we've got the points here. Richard Wynn, the Planning Minister in Victoria, has released a 15-page, 57-point summary of what Salter Development can do, or cannot do, in this area. And on the phone today, I've got Mike Waller again from the Walmart Street Action Group. Mike. Hi, Chris. Good to talk to you again. Yeah. Sorry about the very long intro, but I just want to give people some perspective on what a long process this has been. Yeah, yeah. It's been uh, pretty close to excruciating, and the outcome's deeply sad and unsatisfactory from the point of view, I think, of all the, the interested community groups that have you know, put an awful lot of effort into um, engaging in what actually has turned out to be a sham consultation. Uh, we, you know, we go back to July, we had a couple of meetings with the developers. Uh, they basically said, you know, to, I'm being a bit crude, but they said, cop it. Um, you know, we've done the best we can and we're not going to improve the way that the cyclists and the 
uh, and pedestrians interact between those what is going to be a narrow wind tunnel between very two large buildings. Uh, nothing said about the bridge itself or indeed the other side of the bridge, which is obviously comprises the whole crossing. Now, what we've got now, as you said, we've got a letter from the minister to the developers saying fundamentally tick and tick for what was um, described as an option B uh, coming out of the community consultation, so-called on the 16th of October. Uh, at that meeting, and I think you might have been there, Chris, although yes, I was overseas yes. at the time, they were presented, the community were presented with two options, A and B, which sort of re-engineered slightly some of the more problematic issues around pedestrian uh, and cyclist interface, but still both ended up with a very unsatisfactory outcome from the point of view of all users and the community at large. So that, at that meeting, both our option A and B were roundly rejected. And the community said, we want something which is better. And they then subsequently, a group of people got together and came up with a set of principles which would govern the design. Uh, they were presented to the government and, of course, what's happened is that the government, um, although we've had great support from the council, uh, and we, they actually wrote to the minister again and just before Christmas, laying out what those design principles should involve, uh, the minister's come back and effectively said the developers got everything they've asked for, bar one or two minor tweaks. Now, that, I come back to this point. I mean, why on earth bother uh, if you're a community group to engage with a government that's really not, um, you know, uh, really committed to the idea of listening to what the community is saying about a very important part of the public realm. So from that point of view, I think an extremely poor outcome. Well, exactly. Well, from a perspective, though, there's been several hundred people involved from both Abbotsford and Kew who are directly yep. affected. And they've done, you know, a lot of people doing this stuff in good faith on their spare time. This just seems like we've been given a pat on the head and um, go away now. It's yeah. the politest way I could put it. Yeah, quite right. And, and I think underlying that, Chris, you've mentioned the 57 conditions. And I'll, I'll come back to a slightly more positive note on what we're trying to do to make sure those conditions are made clear and are policed. But there are a couple of other factors that sit underneath this, which are at a more, you know, a broad scale um, issue, which is... Um, that the government and the developers between them are effectively saying there's no alternative to the current business model of building, you know, Gold Coast developments along the Yarra River because that's the only way you can accommodate population growth. Well, frankly, that's arrant nonsense. Uh, I would draw all your listeners' attention to some great work that Professor Michael Buxton and his people at RMIT have done. They did a census of every bit of spare land across Yarra's, Yarra Council's area, came to the conclusion, based on very clear analysis, that you don't need all these high-rise 10, 15, 16-storey developments. You can do medium-scale uh, development, um, medium to high density, but in a way which is sensitive to the local environs and the heritage, particularly along things like, you know, the strip shopping areas and places of the sort that we're dealing with around Warmer Street. So, you know... What the government have failed to do is engage with any of that analysis and indeed confront it or rebut it. They've basically said the market will sort it out. Well, supposedly that's what the market's done with Warmer Street and basically community interests have been chucked in the bin and have been totally set aside 
to meet you know the developers profit motives um, and I think that comes to another point um, in this broad area which is you know the whole influence of, of money politics in the broad sense um, that there's an awful lot indeed there's something in the Sunday age today about it there are lots of political donations made there are very close revolving door relationships between uh, politicians the developers bureaucrats Many of our planners and many of the current uh, developers, consultants, have all worked in the public sector or the private sector and they vie between them. Nothing wrong with having people who know what they're doing and have experience, but none of this is transparent and a lot of it is underpinned by you know, political donations, most of which are not transparent at all. And this government, when you compare them with New South Wales that have banned developer contributions, that has not happened down here and I think it is a a complete and utter travesty. Mm. So I think from that point of view, what we've seen in Warmer Street, coming back to our sham consultation process and the outcome that that's developed, is really a prime example of the broader pathology that currently exists between the developers and state governments at the moment, and it needs sorting out. And, you know, the more light that's shed on it, the better. Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Wednesday the 3rd of March at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 9419 8377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website 3cr.org.au forward slash people. You are indeed listening to 3CR Community Radio, coming to you from Melbourne, Australia, and this is Yarra Bosco User Group Radio, and I've been informed that today is the 13th of February, so I've got something right in the intro. Anyway, we're going to go into the second part of the interview with Mike Waller from the Warmler Street Action Group about an ongoing issue just on the cusp of Abbotsford and Q to do with cyclists and pedestrian access. Yeah, and just something I'd like to bring in here, because, you know, this house show is about cycling and related transport issues. We're now looking at a possible 12-month closure of that Warmless Street bridge that goes between Abbotsford up to Kew, and that's used by oh, pedestrians and cyclists. And, and just something else you're bringing in about the money element. This is something that it just perplexes me from a, someone who wants to get better walking and cycling facilities. There's lots of talk the talk and we're going to do all this sort of stuff, but... As soon as you look at the budgets, the money's not there. How yeah. come if they want a healthier society and preventative medicine, why isn't the money going to where it should be going in terms of separate uh, pedestrian and cyclist infrastructure and also looking at you know better public transport and the rest of it? No, we have got, as you're saying, an embedded problem with our politics and developer and political donations it's skewing things to the point where yeah they can come out and say all sorts of nice statements but in the long run we're not getting results we're not getting a healthier society if they keep building these mm. these sort of uh, developments yeah i mean you're quite right it's outcomes it's behave it's behavior and performance that matter not pious statements about oh well the community you know matters we're going to be all more you know sensitive to pedestrian and cyclist needs we want a healthier society uh, you've got to put your money where your mouth is, and yep. I agree. Now, 
you know, on the positive side, um, uh, Q, the Q side, which is a, you know, an accident waiting to happen, in fact, has happened already with that very narrow um, precipitous slope that comes off the Q side of Warmer Street with, you know, cyclists coming, some coming down there at 30 or 40, 50 kilometres an hour, um, uh, you know, in something which is less than 1.8 metres wide. Uh, to their eternal credit, Burundara Council have, have been trying to come up with a solution to actually completely reconstruct that side of the bridge. Mm. Um, they've got, I think, a, you know, an application, in, but they need grant money. I mean, everybody knows councils are, are fairly strapped for cash. Um, but what's lacking, in, and we've been saying this right from the word go, is any view about the whole crossing and how it fits together. What we've now got on the other side, we've got two things happening. One is we've got a closure of the bridge, which if, let's, you know, if, if the Warmer Street side, or the Abbotsford side goes ahead, uh, that goes ahead before the other side is sorted out, we could end up with months, if not, you know, a year or plus of closure. At the moment, there's absolutely no clarity about that, but, and nobody is taking a lead on it, except that we are, we are now seeing that the two mayors of the respective councils, Amanda Stone and Philip Healy, are actually showing the leadership that the government should have shown to actually say, well, let's take a more synoptic view of the whole crossing. Mm. And, mm. and that is sadly lacking. Um, and, you know, to broaden the issue around the cycling more generally, but also pedestrians, uh, and you, I think, mentioned it on your program before, the Gip Street Bridge thing. Mm. Um, you know, if you were really serious about this, you'd look at the whole thing. You'd say, yeah. what's the integrated story here and how are we going to fix it? Uh, but no, not at the moment. No, nothing being I, done. I brought that up at a joint meeting that was between the mayors and stakeholders. It wasn't a public meeting. It was just before Christmas. And I brought the thing up about Gip Street because Parks Victoria are working on a plan to do a switchback and fix up the Gip Street connections. Now, where's the connection there? We've been working on that for almost 15, 16 years. Mm. This is just ridiculous, the timelines mm. on this. And now we're looking at how much that area is rapidly changing. Yes, absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, so I suppose, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know I'm sounding like a, doom, a doomsayer, um, but I think on the evidence of the performance around Warmer Street, the government has never been serious about, uh, you know, serious lis seriously listening and acting on community input. By the way, I've actually we've actually put in a FOI request to find out how all this uh, consultation was being viewed by the by the Department of Planning and the Minister. And they are stoutly resisting uh, any transparency of that, as you can imagine. But we'll, oh, yes, they would be. We'll continue, to we'll continue to battle on with that. But I think that the final thing to say, because I know you, you're time limited, is, is that what we've now done, working closely with Amanda Stone and Philip Healy, is to suggest a positive, forward-looking response to the Minister's um, short letter back to uh, the mayors uh, or Amanda Stone saying, uh, you know, I commend the idea of a working group. Well, mm. commending mm. is one thing, doing is another. So what we've done is put to both Amanda and Philip the idea of a community working group, uh, also obviously led by the two councils, co-chaired by them, involving community groups, stakeholder groups, importantly including cyclists, of course, to get after this, to look at the 57 conditions, to sort out how this thing is going to be, you know, turned into something which is less less of, a, excuse my French, buggers muddle, uh, but also ensure that we've got 
um, a very clear-eyed view about how and when this bridge might be closed to pedestrian and cyclist use. And if, in far, so far as possible, coordinating the actions on both sides of the bridge and put some money in from both the state governments but, and possibly from the developers to get the whole thing sorted out. And, you know, we put that to Amanda and Philip and they're now looking at that very closely. But we're basically saying, action this day, get on with this. We need to get this working group going and we need to get a report on the strategic vision for the whole area by the end of March. And we believe that is doable. And it's about time that given in the absence of, you know, state government leadership, which is clearly lacking, uh, that the community work with the two councils, um, a community including the more important cyclist communities on both sides of the river, and get this thing on the table, people to be held accountable for the conditions being applied and to get an outcome which actually leaves something we can all be proud of in the public realm. But at the moment, we're not heading that way. But I think Amanda and Philip, together with community groups like yours and ours, uh, if we work together, we can put sufficient pressure on, uh, you know, other uh, people who've got a, a, a large say on the matter to actually get out with a better income, uh, outcome than we've currently got. from Cut Copy and you're listening to 3CR. Please support Community Radio. Subscribe now. Yes, indeed. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Well, next fortnight, I'd say, we've got uh, Show Us Your Love, 3CR subscriber drive. And um, if you haven't subscribed to 3CR, now's a good time. And also, please, subscribe via 3cr.org.au or give the station a call and make sure that you subscribe to our show Yarra Bosco User Group Radio. I'll do a little bit more about that later in the show but you know that's the thing about um, you, you, when you subscribe you buy a piece of independent media and you support your favourite show. Anyway go into the final part of an interview I did with Mike Waller from the Warmler Street Action Group a very long running issue there on um, Abbotsford and Q. Yeah, that's very well put because, again, from our perspective, things like Gipps Street and this, 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 this is actually thing to do with this uh, park house development we're talking about. This goes back 10 years. Gipps Street goes back almost 20. We wanted these things done ages ago, and so they would have been fit for purpose and ready now for when this area is being developed. It's about time they started listening to us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, the whole this the park apartments, as you describe it, mm. so-called uh, priority development zone, a lot of the problems go back years, like eight or nine years, yeah. to the, actually to the previous Labor government. Uh, where, you know, to put it most politely, um, there was no vision shown about just what this would turn into if it wasn't looked at from the point of view of a, a public realm management issue rather than a developer who's, you know, a set of developers are going to make 20 or 30% on the deal. Now, you know, really, we I think we ought to expect more from our politicians uh, when they are actually effectively giving away huge profitable development rights by using the public amenities in the public realm, including, you know, the view over the river. On the other side of the river, that's all public land. The the the, uh, the river bank is public land. And yet um, developers are being allowed to, you know, 
make very large profits with actually very little return to the community. It's not good enough. It needs sorting out. So if people want to get in touch with the Warmer Street Action Group um, or get keep up to date with developments, what can they do, Mike? We've got a Facebook page, which is um, readily accessible. There's another very good general website, which is taking a great interest. In fact, is providing, I think, good, great um, uh, input and uh, information. And that's called Defend the Yarra, which is a blog page, which is readily accessible if you just um, Google it up. So, but we're, I think at the moment, Chris, um, you know, all contributions gratefully received. Yep. But I think where we're going to put our effort, and I'm sure you will be doing too from your cyclist perspective, is to get this working group, this planning group up and running and to start holding people accountable for actually getting a better outcome for us all. Yeah, and if anyone contacts Yarra Bicycle Users Group for our website or any of our contacts, we'll forward the information on. Well, That's Mike, great. Yeah, Mike's been great chatting here today, and uh, no doubt we'll probably be doing a fifth or sixth instalment on this <laughs> on the show sometime no in the future. But, okay. but hopefully with a, with a better outcome. As always, Chris, it's good to talk to you. I'm Tash Sultana and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. And uh, going into uh, second interview for today, and this is from David Blom from Whitehorse Cyclists, who I spoke to earlier, and this is about new pipeline trail that's just opened up in the southeastern suburbs. You might be quite aware of it because it connects onto the Gardner's Creek Trail. This morning on Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, I'm speaking to David Mom. Some people may know we interviewed him a while back on um, Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. He's from Whitehorse Cyclists and he's here today to talk to us about Gardner's Creek commuters and the completion of um, an interesting pipeline trail. David? Yes, Chris. Um, it's very nice to be back on the show again. The Whitehorse Council, where I live, They've recently just completed the first stage of a several-stage project of the Sindel to Heatherdale Pipeline Trail. It's on the PBN. It's been identified for many years as being a, an important trail to build. And they've finally gone out, laid some concrete and opened it up recently. Because this comes in from Blackburn South, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, but if you're going from the south in Sindel, you can actually trace this pipeline all the way up to Mitcham Reservoir, and it keeps on actually heading north out to where the bigger reservoirs are, out in the Yarra Valley. There's a whole network of pipelines and uh, reserves like that. Perhaps the most famous is the one that goes along St George's Road. Melbourne Water's doing a lot of work on that at the moment. Uh, people in the inner north would be very aware of that. So uh, you've got a bit of a launch or a, um, some rides to go along this new section of trail. Yeah, well, in order to celebrate the council uh, in their achievement of building this pipeline trail, I decided to uh, call up a few friends who are on the Gardeners Creek Strava group. 
we regularly commute to work as separate entities, but we decided, well, we might as well ride this as a group and to council, the media and to the local politicians that this sort of thing is appreciated and we will get out there and use this sort of facility. Okay, so what, what have you got this plan for? Um, ongoing or date coming up? Yeah, we've got this plan for Wednesday the 22nd of February at 7am, starting from the northernmost point of the new trail, i.e. Ballantyne Street in East Burwood, and we'll be riding all of the way to the Melbourne CBD as part of our daily commute. And the ride itself, uh, 21 out of the 25 kilometres of the ride will be on uh, shared path network. Uh, there's only a few sections of the pipeline trail to the south there that need building and a few sections of the Glen Waverley Rail Trail that are missing at the moment. Yeah, because most people would be very aware of the Gardner's Creek section of this of this trail, you know, it comes into the CBD, which is, I think I've said a few times and other people have noted over the years, this section when they connected it up to going into the CBD really lifted commuter numbers in Melbourne. Now it's not just like coming into Melbourne itself, it's the connection of all the other suburbs out in the southeast. And this is this is really good stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic to start to see uh, the generation of a very good spider web of network and uh, people who live to the northern suburbs or to the southeast along this Gardner's Creek Trail have very good access and we're now starting to see a whole range of other trails tying into this. Uh, we've got the Box Hill to Ringwood Rail Trail is uh, scheduled for completion later on this year so it's it's the start of a very exciting time and we're starting to see the germs of a very good network. Yeah well, it's like if using this path or this trail to you can get to Monash or Deakin Unis, you can go to the shops, you can get to a place of work well, this is the way to go about it, especially the southeast, where it may not be as friendly as where, where we are in the inner northern suburbs, and we're a bit, we're actually very spoiled. And I think it's about time that the south and the eastern parts of uh, Melbourne, you can ride your bike, you should be able to ride it where you like. Yeah, very true. You also have the ability with this new section of path to be able to ride to the train station, and mm. you can mix your mode. The other thing with the distance of the ride, it's obviously not going to be for everybody to do a 25-kilometre commute each way. However, it's the ideal opportunity for people to start looking at electric bikes for commuting that distance or to break it up and do the, the mix of uh, bike and train combination. Anyway, we'll put this up on our website. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you guys, the Gardeners Creek Trail Commuters, uh, do you have a contact point or people can find out more about the uh, ride on the 22nd of February? Yeah, we have a, a page on Strava and just look for the Gardeners Creek Trail Commuters. Okay, and we'll put this up on our calendars as well. If you go to yarrabug.org forward slash events, there's a Google calendar there and you can um, easily subscribe to that. And I'll make sure this gets added to our calendar because, uh, yeah, this is really good because you've got to ride in small bunches of or, or six to ten riders rather than one big unit and um, show courtesy and good etiquette to other users of the facilities. And it was just an idea that I had just to get people interested, excited and motivated and it's given a number of people within our group who already might ride of the paths there, knowledge that this path's opening and it's a good way of spreading the word. It's a bit of an idea that 
I actually took from Mia Burke in Portland where they um, opened up some bike lanes on a bridge and they had a celebration on the bridge itself. So what better way to, to show the politicians and everyone that you're interested that you appreciate this sort of thing than by riding the trail itself? Yeah, and um, yeah, build that capacity, let people know about it and make sure that it's not just words about saying nice things about cyclists and getting around. Put the money in the budget. That's what really matters. <laughs> And not just the money in the budget, spend it on good quality paths and in the locations that people want them and link things up. And this is a fantastic step in that direction. Okay. Thanks for your time today, David. And we'll make sure we'll try and promote that for you as well. That's on commuter group ride coming in on the Heatherdale Potline Trail on Wednesday the 22nd of February at 7am. And that's starting at Ballantyne Street in East Burwood. And that's all we've got time for this week on Yarra Bicycle Use Group Radio. Don't forget, show us your love and uh, get involved with the 3CR subscriber drive. You know, what do you love about 3CR? What are your favourite shows? What you've heard on air that in the past year you wouldn't hear anywhere else? Well, stuff like David and Michael talking about today. So don't forget, please, between the 13th to 19th of February, please subscribe to 3CR and um, you've listened to the show, make sure that you pledge to Yarra Bicycle User Group Radio. Anyway, that's all I've got time for today. Our podcast should be up shortly. And up next is Dirt Radio. For progressive people around the world, it's been a hard start to the year. Trump is rolling out his racist agenda, inspiring increased racial, religious and gender-based hatred across the globe. It really is time to rally together to fight for a better world. There is power in numbers, and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.